had brought her cryonic sarcophagus to the moon when she began working as an astronaut for Astro Manufacturing Corporation. Eventually, Pancho became a member of Astro's board of directors and finally its chairman. Still, Susan waited, entombed in her bath of liquid nitrogen, waiting until Pancho was certain that she could be reborn to a new life. It took more than 20 years. And once Susan was revived and cured of the cancer that had been killing her, her mind was almost a total blank. Pancho had expected that. Cryonics reborns usually lost most of the neural connections in the cerebral cortex. Even Saito Yamagata, the powerful founder of Yamagata Corporation, had come out of his cryonic sleep with a mind as blank as a newborn baby's. So Pancho fed and bathed and toilet-trained her sister, an infant in a teenager's body, taught her to walk, to speak again, and brought the best neurophysiologist to Cellini to treat her sister's brain with injections of memory enzymes and RNA. She even considered nanotherapy, but decided against it. Nanotechnology was allowed in Cellini, but only under stringent controls, and the experts admitted that they didn't think that nanomachines could help Susan recover her lost memories. Those years were difficult, but gradually a young adult emerged, a woman who looked like the Susie that Pancho remembered, but whose personality, whose attitudes, whose mind were disturbingly different. Susan remembered nothing of her earlier life, but thanks to the neuroboosters she had received, her memory now was almost eidetic. If she saw or heard something once, she never forgot it. She could recall details with a precision that made Pancho's head swim. Now the sisters sat glaring at each other, Pancho on the plush burgundy pseudo-leather couch in the corner of her sumptuous office, Susan sitting tensely on the edge of the low sling chair on the other side of the curving lunar glass coffee table, her elbows on her knees. They looked enough alike to be immediately recognized as sisters. Both were tall and rangy, long, lean legs and arms, slim, athletic bodies. Pancho's skin was a little darker than a well-tanned Caucasian's, Susan's a shade richer. Pancho kept her hair trimmed down to a skullcap of tightly curled fuzz that was flecked with spots of fashionable gray. Susan had taken treatments to make her dark brown hair long and luxurious. She wore it in the latest page-boy fashion, spilling down to her shoulders. Her clothing was latest mod, too. A floor-length faux silk gown with weights in its hem to keep the skirt hanging right in the low lunar gravity— Pancho was in a no-nonsense business suit of powder gray, a tailored cardigan jacket and flared slacks over her comfortable lunar soft boots. She wore sensible accents of jewelry at her earlobes and wrists. Susan was unadorned, except for the decal across her forehead, a miniature of Saturn, the ringed planet. Susan broke the lengthening silence. Ponch, you can't stop me. I'm going. But... All the way out to Saturn? With a flock of political exiles? They're not exiles. Come on, Suze. Half the government's back Earthside are cleaning out their detention camps. Susan's back stiffened. Those fundamentalist regimes you're always complaining about are encouraging their non-believers and dissidents to sign on for the Saturn expedition. Encouraging, not deporting. They're getting rid of their troublemakers, Pancho said. 
not troublemakers, freethinkers, idealists, men and women who are ticked with the way things are on earth and willing to warp off, zip out, and start new lives. Misfits and malcontents, Poncho muttered, square pegs in round holes. The habitat will be populated by the best and brightest people of earth, Susan retorted. Yeah, you wish. I know, and I'm going to be one of them. Cripes almighty, Suze. Saturn's ten times farther from the sun than we are. What of it, Susan said, with that irritating smile again. You were the first to go as far as the belt, weren't you? Yeah, but you went out to the Jupiter station, didn't you? Poncho could do nothing but nod. So I'm going out to Saturn. I won't be alone. There'll be ten thousand of us for real. That is, if Malcolm can weed out the real troublemakers and sign up good workers, I'm helping him do the interviews. Make sure that's all you're helping him with, Poncho groused. Susan's smile turned slightly wicked. He's been a perfect gentleman, damn it. Blister my butt on a goddamn Harley, Poncho grumbled. And she thought, damn near thirty years I've been working my way up the corporation, but Ten minutes with Susie, and she's got me talking West Texas again. It's a great thing, Ponch, said Susan, earnest now. It's a mission, really. We're going out on a five-year mission to study the Saturn system, scientists, engineers, farmers, a whole self-sustaining community. Poncho saw that her sister was genuinely excited, like a kid on her way to a thrill park. Damn she said to herself. Susie's got the body of an adult but the mind of a teenager. There'll be nothing but grief for her out there without me to protect her. Say it clicks, Ponch, Susan asked softly through lowered lashes. Tell me you're not ticked at me. I'm not sore, Poncho said truthfully. I'm worried, though. You'll be all alone out there with ten thousand others without your big sister. Susan said nothing for a heartbeat. Then she reached across the coffee table and grasped Poncho's hand. But, Ponch, don't you see? That's why I'm doing it. That's why I've got to do it. I've got to go out on my own. I can't live like some little kid with you doing everything for me. I, I've got to be free. Sagging back into the softly yielding sofa, Poncho murmured, Yeah, I suppose you do. I guess I knew it all along. It's just that I worry about you, Susie. I'll be fine, Punch. You'll see. I sure hope so. Elated, Susan hopped to her feet and headed for the door. You'll see, she repeated. It's going to be great. Cosmic. Poncho sighed and got to her feet. Oh, by the way, Susan called over her shoulder as she opened the office door. I'm changing my name. I'm not going to be called Susan anymore. From now on, my name is Holly. And she ducked through the door before Poncho could say a word more. Holly, Poncho muttered to the closed door. Where in the ever-loving blue-eyed world did she get that from, she wondered. Why she want to change her name? Shaking her head, Poncho told the phone to connect with her security chief. When his handsome square-jawed face took shape in the air above her desk, she said, Wendell, I need somebody to ride that goddamned habitat out to Saturn and keep tabs on my sister.
without her knowing it. Right away, the security chief answered. He looked away for a moment and then said, Um, about tonight, I... Never mind about tonight, Pancho snapped. You just get somebody onto that habitat. Somebody good. Get on it right now. Yes, ma'am, said Pancho's security chief. Lunar Orbit, Habitat Goddard Malcolm Eberly tried to hide the panic that was still frothing like a storm-tossed sea inside him. Along with the fifteen other department leaders, he stood perfectly still at the main entrance to the habitat. The ride up from Earth had been an agony for him. From the instant the clipper ship had gone into Earth orbit and the feeling of gravity had dwindled to zero, Eberly had fought a death struggle against the terror of weightlessness. Strapped into his well-cushioned seat, he had exerted every effort of his willpower to fight back the horrible urge to vomit. I will not give in to this, he told himself through gritted teeth. Pale and soaked with cold sweat, he resolved that he would not make a fool of himself in front of the others. Getting out of his seat once the clipper ship had made rendezvous with the transfer rocket was sheer torture. Eberly kept his head rigidly unmoving, his fists clenched, his eyes squeezed down to slits. To the cheerful commands of the flight attendants, he followed the bobbing gray coveralls of the woman ahead of him and made his way along the aisle, hand over hand, from one seat back to the next until he glided through the hatch into the transfer vehicle, still in zero gravity, gagging as his insides floated up into his throat. No one else seemed to be as ill as he. The rest of them, fifteen other men and women, all department leaders as he was, were chatting and laughing, even experimenting with allowing themselves to float up off the Velcro carpeting of the past.